Hallelujah. Can we give our Lord Jesus a hand of praise? Oh, come on. Let's give Jesus a hand of praise. He's so wonderful. He's so worthy. It is such a blessing, such an honor to be back here at Northridge. I was sharing uh, that I must really love Northridge. I've been on the road for three weeks out of the country for two uh, in this past week in the southern part of our country. And so this is really my first time back uh, home. And I'm back home, uh, not at home, but at home. And so it's such a blessing to be here and so thankful uh, for your continued commitment uh, to waking the world up to Jesus and serving uh, the kingdom in such significant ways. And so I'm just so thankful. Uh, I believe that what God would share with us today, if we would ask his Holy Spirit to teach us and to unfold this truth, uh, it could really be one of those moments that not only deeply impacts us individually, but I do uh, believe it would impact this church and also impact in a greater way the world around us. So can we pray as we approach God's word together? Father, we come before you because you are the only one that is able to truly teach us. You're the only one that can truly open our hearts and our ears to hear and our hearts to understand. So God, we yield ourselves to you and we ask that you would do in this moment something so sacred, something so special, that God, when it's over, we will be so evident, it'll be so clear that it was you. So God, would you reach the person who is far from you today? Would you draw them closer to you? For the believer who is already closer to you, God, would you allow these words from your word to enlighten them and to enliven them? that again, we might be all that we have been called to be. We'll be so very careful to give you all the praise and all the glory. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus that we pray, amen. I have been uh, on a journey as a believer, uh, kind of like that of the Israelites, I believe. The Israelites were these amazing band of people who were called by God and really experienced the grace of God and the blessings of God, not because of who they were, but just because of God's love. And the Bible would tell us that they oftentimes would find themselves in these places of often great success, great highs, but they would sometimes find themselves in places of great uh, lows and great distress. And part of my journey as a young guy who grew up on the south side of Chicago to a single parent mom and with all the challenges that you would probably find from anybody in the inner city, trying to figure out who I was, find my way, find my place, ended up going to a, a university that uh, served as the, the place that God really met me and saved me at Northwestern University as a freshman, uh, right there on the campus. Jesus gloriously came into my life and saved me. After that, I got called to ministry, and God's grace has been upon me, not because of anything that I am, but purely because of just his love and his gifting. But in the midst of all of that, you all, I've often struggled with comparisons. I know nobody else ever struggles with that issue. But I often would find myself, no matter how blessed I was and my, how many gifts God had given to me or how many uh, things that I could point to that were uh, such an obvious blessing from God, I would always still kind of lean into what I didn't have or what I wasn't. And I kind of find that many of us unwittingly find ourselves in the comparison trap. What if I were like that family? What if I were like that person? What if I had their gift? But I believe all of us have been uniquely gifted by God but I also believe more importantly that we've not just been gifted by God to be gifted, but we've been gifted by God to serve the common good. That there's something that God has uniquely given to each and every one of us that is not just for us, but it's really to help wake the world up to him. 
But if none of us really are aware or keenly certain about what those gifts are or what those unique kind of wirings are, because each of us have been wired uniquely by God, if we're not really aware of that, many of us will live this life purposeless. Because a life without purpose is really a life without meaning. And many, many well-intentioned people, many well-intentioned believers don't have any idea why they've been saved, why God has gifted them, why God has made their life what it is, the good and the bad. But I believe that the scripture always gives us wisdom for those kinds of questions. There's a passage of scripture in the New Testament that I just want you to listen to. It's not the one that we'll be reading together, but I just want you to hear uh, this account of something that occurred in Acts chapter 3 that I felt was really worth kind of opening up with. It says in Acts chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, it says, One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, and so did John. And Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized that this was the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. I want to kind of revisit this verse. Verse 6, it says, Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. But what I do have I give you. And I kind of want to talk about that. What I do have I give you. I wonder how many of us uh, in this text see ourselves in different parts. There was this lame man who had never uh, walked a day in his life, and because of his condition, he had to be brought to beg. His sustenance was connected to whatever people would kind of throw his way. And so can you imagine having to be dependent upon someone to pick you up, carry you to this location, drop you off there, pick you back up again, and throughout that entire day, your job was to just beg people and hope that they would throw something your way to sustain you. The Bible said this man did this every day of his life. We don't know how long he had been doing it, but we know he had been laying from birth. The Bible tells us that uh, like every day at this gate called Beautiful, and kind of what an oxymoronic picture, right? Here is this man lame, unable to walk, kind of a picture of that all that's not beautiful laid at the gate, beautiful. And so he's there as always begging, and Peter and John on the way to pray, on their way to church, on their way to the temple, as they are now approaching, this man, like he always does, asks them for some money. And then uh, you know, Peter says, now look at us, and the guy turns his attention, and the Bible says, looking to expect something from them. And I believe this is actually the condition of our world. The world is lame in its sin, unable to walk, unable to move in the things that God ordains because sin has crippled them. And, and in the midst of their beautiful things and maybe the midst of their seemingly beautiful lives, they're kind of juxtaposed between their lame spiritual condition and the beauty of maybe the things around them. But they're also looking to expect something. The Bible says that Peter responded, silver and gold I don't have. I can imagine this guy saying, well, that's what I asked for. 
And, and what else can you give me? Don't you know that I'm lame? Don't you know that I'm an invalid? Don't you know that I'm, I'm able, unable to care for myself? I'm asking for money. I'm asking for this because I can't, there's nothing else you can give me. But it's amazing that he did not know what they could give him. And the Bible says, he answers them. Peter says, I don't have what you asked for, sir, but, what, but such as I do have, I'm going to give it to you. And then he says, in the name of Jesus, Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. He grabs him by the hand and he gets strength in his ankle. And for the first time in his life, he's doing what he could never do. For the first time in his existence, he's becoming someone that he's never become before. He's now not only walking, but leaping and jumping and praising God. Going into the very place where the people that had, that had given him money in the past, begging from them, now going in as exhibit A of what Jesus can do. And how many of us we have Jesus, but do not even understand what we have. To wake the world up to Jesus, we've got to realize the power of what we already have. And for many of us, we say, well, you know, I'm a Christian, a big deal. I've got Jesus. I've got a relationship with him. Listen, more than any other thing in your life, the greatest possession, the greatest relationship, the greatest gift that you and I would have ever and has ever received is the person of Jesus Christ in your heart because he's the one that can change everything. He says, such as I have, I give it to you. And in the name of Jesus, get up. And what would happen if each of us would realize what we have, who we have, whose we are? But for many of us, we are kind of scared about sometimes embracing the unknown, right? Most of us like to hang out in the familiar because there's safety along the shore of the familiar. But yet God calls us ever increasingly away from the shore of complacency and the shore of contentment and what we're used to into the deeper waters sometimes of uncertainty. And I believe that's what God calls us to, even as it, under, as it relates to our relationship with him. Are we staying along the shores of safety? Are we willing to sometimes venture out into a little bit deeper water as it relates to who God wants us to be and what he's called us to be and what he's called us to do? I believe that's the challenge that God places in front of all of us. I grew up in the uh, Baptist church and I began to be a little bit concerned about one of the persons of the Trinity, because we do believe God is God in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But I found that the Holy Spirit, out of all of the three natures of God, was often the one most misrepresented. Uh, I, I, I believe the Holy Spirit often is not even talked about as much as this third part of God's uh, Godhead because uh, many well-intentioned people, I believe, have made the Holy Spirit weird. How many of you all, don't raise your hand too high, have ever met well-intentioned Christians who have made the Holy Spirit weird? And because of that, right, many of us say, well, you know what, if that's the Holy Spirit, I think I'll hold off on that one. And so I grew up in the, in the Baptist church, you all, and as a, a, a black Baptist kid on the south side of Chicago, they had this uh, organ called a Hammond B3 organ, and, and it was a big deal in the black church because whenever they started playing the Hammond B3 organ, like clockwork, almost as though there had been some script, like popcorn, people would start popping up within the church, and they would start shouting, they'd start dancing. Some you would think were at the Olympics, they would take out running and doing laps around the church. And I would lean to my mom and say, Mom, what happened? She says, oh, honey, they just caught the Holy Spirit. 
And then I'll never forget this one lady. I, I, never, I was in church, and she caught the Holy Spirit, and her wig went one way, her head went the other. I was okay with that until her arms, as she caught the Holy Spirit, hit my face. So I caught the Holy Spirit and hit her back. <laughs> True story. And then I would notice that the moment the music would stop, all of a sudden, almost like the same predictable clockwork, the same people that were jumping and shouting and running laps and wigs were gathered back. And all of a sudden, they would sit back down. I'd say, Mom, what happened? And in my brain, my little brain as a kid, I say, evidently, the Holy Spirit that they caught, they must have thrown him back. My ignorance of who the Holy Spirit was and his ministry was reduced to emotion and goosebumps and kind of action. And I don't believe that there's anything wrong with those things. And I think that uh, there's the old folk would say in the South that I wouldn't want a religion that I couldn't feel sometime. And so I thank God for that. But I think if we build our relationship with God on emotion alone, we're going we're gonna to lose. If we build our relationship with God on how we feel, our feelings will not always lend towards that that we can rely on. And so the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead, he is a person who brings with him unbelievable character and unbelievable gifts that empower us and make us more like God. And to actually have him, you have him because to accept Jesus means that you actually receive the Holy Spirit as well. I kind of equate this to a combo meal. If you've ever gotten a combo meal, you know you get a sandwich, you get a side, and you get a drink, right? And when you pay that one price, you get all three of those things for the one price that you pay. You don't drive away and not get your side. You know, you're like, what happened to my side? Where are my fries at? You know what I'm saying? I mean, you, you know that if you paid for the combo, you get all three of them in one. And indeed, the moment that you and I accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, the book of Colossians says that in Christ is the fullness of the Godhead in him. So the moment you got Jesus, you did not get one-third of God. You got all of God. You got in Christ God the Father. You got God the Son. And you also have God the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit. The question is this, how much of you does he have? Each and every one of us who have a relationship with Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit. But the bigger question is, how much of us have we yielded to him? And for many of us, because of the weird factor, many of us have actually kind of stayed away from the whole subject matter. But I believe the Holy Spirit manifests himself in two predominant ways. One is what we call the fruit of the Spirit. The other is what we call the gifts of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit often deal with the character, right? of God that is now revealed and displayed through his spirit inside of us. The fruit of the spirit all of us possess. Every single one of you that are in this space, that are watching, any of you that are here, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of you, and he does, he brings along with him, listen, he brings along with him the ability and the uh, disposition for all of us to display a character that is, that is not our own, it's God's. That love, kindness, self-control, gentleness, meekness, that these fruit of the Spirit are evident in every single believer. All of us have them. But I don't know about you, but I've met some Christians where it seems like their love fruit is not that big. I've met some believers where their kindness fruit doesn't seem to be as big. And I've yet other believe, met other believers where it seems like they have unbelievable capacities for love or unbelievable capacities for kindness and humility. 
So how is it that one Christian can seemingly have the same fruit of the Spirit and it seems to be in such great measure and another one not so much? It's not that God has given it to them in different measure, but fruit grows connected to how it is connected to the vine. The, the, the more that we're connected to Jesus, the more that our relationship is vibrant, the more that we are bound in relationship with him, the more that that fruit develops and grows so we can tell a mature Christian or a maturing Christian by how much their capacity to love, their capacity to be kind, their capacity to operate in self-control, those things increase as our relationship deepens with God. And so all of us have been given this fruit so that our characters would be more like God. Indeed, the world, when they see us and they see us loving who we could not normally love, they know that God must be present. When they see us operating in self-control, when we know that we could not in our own strength, that must be God at work. The fruit of the Spirit is at work. When they see us choosing to be kind as opposed to being mean, that is the fruit of the Spirit. So not only does he give us the fruit of the Spirit, which kind of deal with our character, he also, you all, gives us these gifts of the Spirit. The gifts of God are without repentance. He gives them to us, the Bible says, and he gives them to us, listen, he gives them to us based on what he intends to do through us. And this is given by God, not by man. I can't say I want to give you a spiritual gift. I don't have that ability. Spiritual gifts are given by the Spirit. That's why it's called a spiritual gift. God gives those gifts to each and every one of us. Not all of us have every one. Not all of us have the same ones. Because, listen, here's the key. God enjoys the diversity in the body. Indeed, the body is diverse. I was uh, down in uh, Florida uh, at a conference, and I heard Andy Stanley, he was teaching, uh, sharing something I thought was so brilliant. He says, you know, uh, my body kind of works in concert with itself, and, and my hand on my arm looks pretty, pretty cool. But if you chop it off and leave it on the stage by itself, it becomes a horror show. And you and I, as different as we are, as we are connected in Christ, we look great, but when we are in isolation by ourselves, we become kind of a horror show. And could it be that God has gifted all of us and given us diversities of gift and diversities of operation, but because, again, sometimes we don't know what those gifts are, or sometimes we, listen, we feel as though the difference is a problem. And we want to see sameness and we want to see the, 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 the unison of thought and the unison of methodology. Think like I do. Act like I do. And could it be that that desire to see everyone being the same, acting the same, looking the same, thinking the same is really a misnomer. God indeed has made us different and gifted us in different ways. But he desires that those differences don't divide, but that those differences make us one. It was the priority of Jesus that we would be one. And that's why I want to spend the rest of our time as we kind of unpack Jesus's desire for his church. And it's found in John's gospel, John chapter 17. John chapter 17, beginning at verse 10. These are the words of Jesus. He says, all I have is yours and all you have is mine. He's talking to the father and glory has come to me through them. Speaking about the apostles, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world and I'm coming to you, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name that you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. Then down in verse 20, he says, my prayer is not for them alone. 
I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, watch this now, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. He says, I pray that they would be one so that may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So Jesus is praying a prayer and he's praying, uh, God, first of all, these apostles that you've given to me, I pray a specific prayer for them that as different as they are, that they would be one. But then he says, not only for them, but I pray for those who will believe in me through their message. And that would be all of us. That every one of us who have believed in Jesus, we are believing in Jesus because we are believing in the message that the apostles gave. He says, I'm praying the same prayer for them that I'm praying for the apostles. I'm praying that they would be one. In the same way that you and I are one, I pray that they would be one. And he says something so interesting. He says, I'm praying that they would be one so that when the world sees their oneness, when the world sees their unity, when the world sees the miracle of this togetherness, then they will believe that you have sent me. Jesus equates the world's view of his validity, the world's view of him being the Christ. He gives a direct correlation between how we are one and the world believing that God has sent him. Why is that? Why would Jesus say that, I pray that they would be one? so that the world out there would believe that you sent me. Because indeed, for us to be authentically unified and one as different as we are, when the world sees us as one as different as we are, they will know there must be a God. Let me give you an example. Let me give you an example. Marriage. Marriage. Only God could have people who are so unbelievably different not have murdered each other. <laughs> Only God. When I look at my wife and myself, I mean, talk about two completely different people. It's, 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 I, it boggles me how different I am, and I, I love this chick. And the reason why is because God enjoys inserting himself in situations that seemingly would never, ever be able to be one, ever be able to be unified, but he enjoys bringing two completely different stories and merging them into one so the whole world can know that must be God. <laughs> My wife organizes everything. My wife lives in the realm of organization. She's got four master's degrees working on a PhD right now. And, she, and, and this is what she does. She says, well, it's not required reading, but they did give it to us, so I'm going to read it anyway. <laughs> who does that? But anyway, so she does these things, all right? So, so she's the one who, when we go on vacation, she actually packs the suitcase by day. So on Monday, these are the things we'll do and wear, and these are the things we'll do on Tuesday. We'll wear this. And, and when I go, I just get stuff and just throw it in the suitcase and hope that it closes and makes it through TSA. And I've, I, I've not tell you how many underwear I've had to buy on the road because I've forgotten to pack underwear. That's what Walmart is for. Thank you, Jesus. 
But it's amazing to me how different my wife and I are. She's so incredibly organized. I'm so incredibly disorganized. She's so incredibly strategic. I'm so in incredibly serendipitous. But if it, listen, on one side, thank God for her, because in a few days from now, IRS thing is coming around again, and Harvey Carey would be under the jail if it were not for the detail of my wife. So thank God for the organized one. And it may be the vice versa. It may be the converse, right? It may be the guy that's that way. But bottom line, thank God for the organized, detailed person in the house. But y'all boring by yourself. Y'all need somebody with some adventure and some, come on now. You need somebody that's going to say, I don't know how we're going to get there. Let's just go. And God enjoys the difference. And listen, what God says about the marriage union, he said, this is a picture of the church. The way that Christ loves the church and the way that the husband loves the wife is this picture of the way that God wants the world to see the relationship between God and humanity, between Christ and the church. How can two extremely different things ever remain so connected? The love that they have for each other, but more importantly, and I believe most importantly, it's God. God at the core of any relationship makes the two divergent thinking thoughts, the two different ways of being, the two different ways of living become more one. And God enjoys taking things that are so seemingly on the surface different and allowing by his spirit for them to be a little bit more one. Take a look down your row a little bit. Look down your row. Look down your row a little bit. Look at the people. Do you have any idea how different these people are that are sitting near you? You've got people that are from different socioeconomic backgrounds, different ethnicities. Some people love hard rock music. I mean, they love it. Some people love country. <laughs> Some people love rap. Some people, listen, you've got some people who are on your row who are so different from you. What brings us into the same room? What makes us be able to lift our voices at the same time? It is one ingredient and one ingredient only, and his name is Jesus. He makes us one. Hallelujah. Now, you all, I share this because I really am deeply concerned about the things that are happening in our world and even in our nation, the things that are dividing us, the things that are polarizing us, the things that are making us stand in camps. And you all, I would pray that as you hear this, you would not automatically shut down and say, okay, where is he going on this? What kind of agenda is he getting ready to push? I'm not pushing in an agenda other than the Jesus agenda. What I'm saying is this. Could it be, could it be that God enjoys difference and that God enjoys having people with different views and different ideologies and different ways of thinking and different ways of even executing and that there's not always one right or one wrong and could it be that God has called the church to be those who would bridge the gap of difference and not see difference as a problem but see it as a blessing that the ways in which God has uniquely wired us are not for us to be angry at the other side or angry at the other viewer, angry at the other way that they do it, but realize that in this beautiful mosaic, in this beautiful tapestry of God, he's made everybody important and everybody's voice is important. And when we come together under his blood, we show the world what oneness looks like.
What if our nation would begin to learn this lesson that both sides of the aisle would realize that both sides are important, that both conversations have some forms of validity somewhere in it? And what if the believing community would lean into that? What if we would lean into things that seemingly on the outside are one way, but if we pull back the cover and get under the hood a little bit, we find that we're not as different as we would think, that we're really more the same. I struggled often with wanting to be like other people or feeling like I wanted everybody to be my way and realizing that that was not always the case. When I first started to preach, I wanted to preach like white people. I did. I, I tried. Just standing in you know, one place, just standing in one place. You know, and three points, you know, because, you know, see, some of y'all don't even know where I'm at in the message. Like, where is he? Where is he? Is, he, is this number one? Is this, I, I, don't, I just don't know where he is. So, you know, you, you wait for that. So I, I did the three points. I did the poem at the end. I did the connection. I did all, And people started leaving in crowds because that's not me. And I realized that, listen, the only way that I could bring to the world the fullness of who I am is to be the fullness of who God made me. And if each of you would realize that you have been wonderfully and fearfully made by God and that your uniqueness is a gift and not a problem, for some of you, you always wonder, why don't I fit in? Because you were not created to. Why don't I belong? Because you're not belonging to everybody. You're here for a different reason. Eagles don't flock like turkeys do. You don't see eagles just hanging out with a whole bunch of other eagles. Eagles soar by themselves. And some of you all that never fit in anywhere, maybe you're not a turkey. Maybe you're not a pigeon. Maybe you are. God sometimes calls us to be the ones in Christ's name to show that the things that divide us should not always be. That even though we're different and even though we see things differently and even though we hold to different convictions and we should, that it's not sameness that God is looking for. It's for us to bring our full selves to the world and then also know that there's somebody else who's bringing their full self to the world and maybe the two of us would not do it the same way or see it the same way, but with respect and honor. In Jesus' name, we choose to lock arms and still walk towards Jesus together, although we might take a little different way to get there. What if that's how we operate at church? We could be the agent that God could use to change the world. I believe that the church is the hope of the world. There's no other entity, there's no other, listen, there's no other movement in the planet that it can change the hearts of people, change the trajectory of lives other than the message that we've been given. That is why this church is, is committed to wake the world up to Jesus. Why? Because waking the world up to government is not going to save people. I thank God for government. We need it. But listen, government is not designed to change a heart. It cannot. And you cannot legislate a heart change. But when you bring a person to Jesus... There is nothing that they would do to harm, to hurt, or to do anything that they should. It's Jesus that changes a heart. Not government, not the private sector, not business. It is the church of Jesus Christ. We're the hope of the world. We're the hope of the world. I was uh, 
invited to a church in Indiana. I'll never forget this, you all. And it was a very scary moment for me, but it was a major moment for me. A pastor friend of mine called me and said, Harvey, I want you to come and preach at my church. I said, sure. He said, let me share with you a little bit of backstory. I said, okay. He said, I was invited to this church to uh, kind of take on the lead pastor role, and I did. I'd been there for a year and had a great run. It's a great church, great people. Love these people. And during Black History Month, uh, one time I decided to lean in a little bit and talk about Dr. King and the things he had done. All of a sudden, I felt like there was this deep silence that fell on the church. And he, at the end of the service, he said, I went to the elder and I asked the elder, hey, man, did... Was it just me? But I, I kind of felt like during the sermon, things kind of went south a little bit. What happened? He said, well, you mentioned Dr. King. He said, yeah, I did. He said, what's the problem with that? He said, well, we don't believe that black people have souls. He said, excuse me? He said, we don't believe that black people have souls, that they're, that they're not completely human. At this point, this man got a decision to make. <laughs> do I stay at this church? Or do I go somewhere else and... With much prayer and much fasting and really much courage, this man decided to stay at this church and walk this church through the word of God over the next few years and not making it become a soapbox issue for him, but just taking him to the scriptures. And several years later, this church unanimously agreed that black people were real and human. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> and so it's time for them to bring the first black preacher to their church So they invite me to come preach. I'm like, are you sure? Because I spit, and this black spit going to hit a white face. And I... They said, come on, Harvey. And they welcomed me. It was an amazing thing. I got there to the church. They had prepared this huge meal for me. I said, I'm fasting. <laughs> Y'all not going to kill me up in here. I, I brought my own water. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm, I'm fine. True, that's the truth. I didn't eat that food. It didn't. <laughs> Not everybody might be well on the journey. You know what I'm saying? So I preached that day and, and brought to them the gospel of Jesus Christ. God does what he always does. He touches hearts. It's the work of the gospel. It's the power of his word. His word does not return void. His words are spirit and life. God moved. People responded to the gospel. But I'll never forget this lady who was sitting right in the front row. She had to be well up in age. She said, uh, Come here. I said, yes, ma'am. She said, I've never been this close to one of you before. I said, yes, ma'am. She said, I heard you preaching. That was the word of God, young man. That was the word of God. And you know what? I've been wrong. Not only me, but my whole family's been wrong. So you know what I want you to do? I said, no, man, what is that? Take them big black lips and put them on this white face and give me a kiss right here. In that moment, what the enemy intended to divide a generation of thinking, a bloodline, was done away because of Christ. Church, hear this today. God is calling each and every one of us to cross the chasm of difference in the name of Christ, and to not see our differences as a problem, but such as we have, that's what we give. Well, pastor, what do I have? As you get ready to 
get off the stage. Could you let me know what I've got? Because as I look at my own life, I feel like the man laid at the gate. I don't feel that beautiful. I don't feel that I have that much. Yes, I go to church. Yes, I know the Lord, but I don't know what I really possess. What do I have to give the world? What do I have to give anybody else? I'm broken. I'm going through things. I've got my own questions. How in the world could God use someone like me? I came to let you know no one is more special than anyone else. Don't you ever look at someone on a pulpit and feel like those on this stage have some special place above you. All of us, every single one of us in the eyes of God are special. You're special to God. And the thing that God wants you to know the most is that your life, every pain, every suffering, every bad turn, no, God did not want to give that to you. He did not want to have you have a heart, a heart that was broken. But this is what I know about God, and I don't know how he does it. But God turns everything, and he makes it work for good. He says, and we know that all things work together for good. Listen, he didn't say that all things were good. He says, but I will even take things that were not good and I'll make them work for my good. You may have come from a broken home, but now your heart is tender for people who are from broken homes and God can use your past and leverage it to deliver somebody else. Hallelujah. God can take your lemons and make lemonade. If you would allow him to do it. And so what is it that I have to give, Pastor? In the two minutes and 53 seconds that you have left. <laughs> I love white people in eight clocks. I love it. What is it? And by the way, black people have clocks too, please. What is it that I have to give? I leave you with what we started with. As this man that was lame and had no hope and did not know how his life would ever change. In one moment, his life was changed forever, and it was because of what Peter gave. Silver and gold I don't have. The thing that you're asking of me, I can't give you what you want, but I can give you what I have. And such as I have, I give it to you. He said, in the name of Jesus. And church, that is what we have. Why is that name so powerful? Because there's no other name under heaven whereby men can be saved other than the name of Jesus. Well, why is that, preacher? I'm glad you asked. Because every man that was born was born into sin. Every single human being that was born of a man and a woman was born with a sin nature, born with a proclivity to sin. But that is not how our Savior came into this world. The Bible says he was born of a virgin. Why is that important? His virgin birth simply meant this. His blood was completely man, but it was also completely God. The Holy Spirit came upon her and she conceived a holy thing. So what can wash away my sin and what can make me whole within? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. There is no other blood. There's nothing that can make us white. Nothing that can make us pure other than his blood. He died. And when he died, the Bible says he did not die. Listen, he did not die because they nailed him on the cross. How can you nail perfection and kill it? But he became sin. It wasn't the cross that killed him. It was our sin. 
He took sin and became sin so that those of us who knew sin could receive his life. He gave us his nature as he took our nature. And the hope for this world is that no matter how lame they are and how broken they are, no matter how fractured our nation is, no matter how hopeless it may seem, church, I still believe that there's hope. I still believe that there's a chance for this nation to be what God has called it to be. And the answer is in this room. The answer is in that room. The answer is the blood-bought, blood-washed church of Jesus Christ. Is there anybody here that believes what I'm talking about? Is there anybody here that believes what I'm saying today? Then give God a praise in the building. Hallelujah. Such as I have, such as I have, I give it to you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for what our hearts have felt, our ears have heard. Thank you for the reminder, God, that the things that divide us Oh, God, they should not divide us, but that God, through you, Jesus, you are the great reconciler. Would you help us to be one, and would you help the church to model it? And God, someone may be here that's far from you, someone here that doesn't know you, Jesus. Right now, wherever you are, sir, wherever you are, ma'am, all you have to do to have a relationship with Jesus is say, Jesus, would you save me? I surrender to you. And that one prayer that you just prayed, sir, that one prayer you just prayed, ma'am, and that, that prayer, you have become part of the family of God. And we celebrate with heaven over you. And now, God, for every believer that is here, would you let us see the unique gifts that you've given to us? Would you let us see the character that you're developing in us so that the world may believe that, God, you sent Jesus? We give you glory and honor in the name above all others. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Give God praise again. Hallelujah. Listen, for any of you all who just made that decision to accept Jesus into your heart, or maybe you've got other prayer concerns, first of all, there are prayer counselors that are going to be available right in the front at all the services. There are prayer counselors, so any of you need prayer, please do that. But also, just tear this off if you would like us to follow up with you. Outside of every exit, there's a box. Someone would love to get back to you real soon. God bless you, Northridge. God keep you. Keep working the world up to Jesus.